Uh, we can read our verses from Micah again that we're looking at this morning. Micah 5, uh, the first four verses. Actually, we'll read from, from verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Amen. This is God's word. Well, we're carrying on in our Advent series uh, this morning, uh, looking at the shepherd. Uh, we, we began a few weeks ago looking at the seed, and we saw that uh, right at the beginning of Holy Scripture, there is a preparation of the way for the coming of Jesus. Uh, there are promises that relate to his coming. And in Genesis, it's Genesis chapter 3, uh, the, 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 the serpent being addressed uh, is warned that the seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, a, a, someone coming from a godly line, will crush his head. Jesus is the serpent crusher. He is the seed. We looked at the promise that Moses gave, that there would be one like him that would be raised up by God and the people must listen to him. Jesus is the prophet. He comes to uh, enlighten our darkened minds and reveal to us the way of salvation. Then last uh, Lord's Day, we looked at the servant, that Jesus is uh, a leader who is very different from the world's leaders. He comes uh, to, to serve. He comes to, to lay down his life that we might be made right with God. And this morning, we're going to look at the fact that we are like so many sheep wandering off, prone to get into all kinds of trouble. We need a shepherd. We need someone uh, who can bring us home to God. Micah uh, ministered in Judah. Uh, you remember that uh, Israel, after the time of Solomon, was divided into two, uh, Judah in the south, Judah and Benjamin, the tribes in the south, and then the ten northern tribes, often called Israel or just Samaria in the north. Uh, well, Micah ministered in Judah, and he did so during the times of the uh, Judean kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the one that we bear in mind this morning. It's his, his reign, the, uh, the elements of the prophecy relate to. At the same time, there were more famous kings, uh, more famous prophets also uh, ministering. Uh, you have Hosea in the north, uh, in Israel, and you have Isaiah uh, in Judah also prophesying at the same time. Uh, Micah's uh, prophetic ministry is one of laying bare to the people their sin and declaring to them both God's judgment and his love that will result in mercy. <clears throat> he foretells the invasion uh, and that is very much to the fore in, in chapter 5, the invasion of the land by the Assyrians, which was the big power at the time, uh, under their leader, Sennacherib. And the Syrians had invaded Judah, and in 
a, a great shock and awe operation. They had taken the fortified uh, towns and cities of the land, leaving only Jerusalem. And the people of Jerusalem and those who had fled from the other places were now uh, cooped up in this great walled citadel, the city of David. But there's also uh, two horizons. There, there, are, there, there are two distinct times which are envisaged. Yes, there is the, the siege of Jerusalem by Sennacherib and the Assyrians and the promise of a deliverance. And we'll see how that works out. But there's also a future date, one 700 years down the line, when another deliverer, a shepherd king, is promised who will uh, shepherd his people. So, two references. And this is quite a common feature in uh, the prophetic books. Uh, if you ever go out into the hills and uh, you're looking at uh, mountain ranges that are on the horizon, one of the interesting things is that uh, you find that mountains which are close merge into those which are further away. So it's actually difficult to tell, uh, to get a kind of perspective of distance. And it's the same in, in, in prophecy. Very often there are two what we call prophetic horizons. There is the near one, uh, referring to events which are going to take place in the uh, near future, and there is a further one uh, which relates to the coming of the Messiah, for example, as we have here. So there are two uh, different future events which are under consideration here. Uh, so, first of all, in verse 1, uh, we're going to hear Micah tell his people to prepare for the siege of the Assyrians. Then, verse 2, uh, he will call them to hope for a promised ruler. Uh, in verse 3, he tells them that they will be delivered uh, into the hands of their enemies until that promised ruler comes. Verse 4, he tells that that promised ruler, when he comes, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And he says his greatness will be to the ends of the earth. And then in verse 5, he says he will be their peace, he will be their well-being. Right. We're going to uh, look this morning, obviously, on the future promise, on the, the promise of, of the Messiah as the shepherd. But in order to do that, we have to be faithful to the, the first intention of Scripture. We're going to be keeping the, that first uh, prophetic view in view also. We need a shepherd. Every bit as much as the Israelites uh, cooped up in Jerusalem needed a deliverance, needed a shepherd. We are helpless and harassed sheep. And God has provided in Jesus Christ the shepherd king. First of all then, uh, we are harassed and helpless. The first context, as we said, is the invasion of Judah by Sennacherib. And verse 1 uh, describes what that is going to be like. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. So that's a pretty graphic description, isn't it? Israel's ruler being struck on the cheek, on the cheek with a rod. Uh, this is uh, an action of humiliation. Israel and her leader humiliated by the invading power. And this is what it refers to. It's the reign of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a good king, he's a godly king, he goes down well in history. But despite that, the Assyrians have invaded and they are seemingly unstoppable. Only Jerusalem is left of the, the towns of Judah. 
And the people inside are in fear and trembling as the city comes under siege. And as the, the land around Jerusalem is black with the Assyrian troops, Sennacherib sends an envoy to speak, wanted to speak to Hezekiah. Actually, Hezekiah sends representatives. And they speak, uh, and they have a, a mission of propaganda, of demoralizing. And crucially, they deliver their message within the hearing of troops on the city wall. And they mock their defenses, they mock their allies, they mock their trust in God. They say, if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Of course it wasn't, it was the, the idolaters high places. Saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, the three representatives of Hezekiah are, are really nervous that the people hearing this are going to be completely demoralized by all this rhetoric. And so they, they plead with Sennacherib's envoy to speak in Aramaic, which they understand, rather than in Hebrew. And, of course, they, they, uh, they refuse. So here, here's the picture. The people are, are cooped up in Jerusalem under siege, they are being intimidated, they are being mocked by the, the power which has come against them. Uh, they are completely demoralized and cast down. And they are helpless to do anything in themselves. But when the representatives go back to Hezekiah, Hezekiah does what is right, he seeks the Lord. Uh, he goes to Isaiah and asks Isaiah the prophet to intercede on their behalf. And the Lord answers in a mighty way, and uh, the, the Lord comes uh, through the, the ranks of the Assyrians, slaying 185,000. Sennacherib returns home and is assassinated by his sons uh, within, uh, when he's worshipping one of his false gods. Now the picture that we have of the, the people in Hezekiah's day in Jerusalem is a picture of people in their sin without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Fast forward to when the promised shepherd comes. Jesus, the Messiah, uh, we're told when he was about a, a busy period of ministry in Israel, uh, he's followed by large crowds. And we're told that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This, friends, is our predicament. We live in a fallen world and we find ourselves harassed and helpless within this fallen world. We are like so many sheep, scattering in fear, continually getting into trouble, getting lost, getting injured, and we need a shepherd to defend us. 
an apt description of life today in our culture, in our country, in our circumstances. Uh, sin. Sin is a complex thing. Uh, there are societal sins in which we get caught up and which hurt us. Uh, we've all around uh, people who uh, have grown up in terrible experiences of child abuse, physical beatings from drunken parents, uh, the horrible experience of growing up in, in a home where you're neglected, father was always away, mum was on drugs or whatever. And there are scars left by these things, scars left by the breakup of relationships. But none of us is ever only the victim of sin. Uh, sometimes people who have been sinned against grievously themselves lapse into self-pity and begin to excuse their own behaviour, excuse their drunk drinking, for example, on their difficult background. And the truth is that every one of us is uh, in our natural state harassed. And the, the Bible sees this uh, predicament as coming from three different areas. The world and the flesh and the devil. <coughs> there are three great negative influences on our lives. The world, when the Bible speaks about the world, it's speaking about the world as it is organized against the rule of God. And uh, if you think of the, the, the word worldly, as it's sometimes used, that helps to convey what's going on here. Someone who is a worldly person, somebody who is convinced that the world has uh, what they need and what they want. We can get what's good in life if we find it pursuing money, sex, and power. The world tells us to look after yourself and ignore God and others. That, in turn, is reinforced by the flesh, which is our, our, own, uh, our, our own humanity under the influence of sin, the fleshly side of our nature, corrupted, makes us prone to, to snatch after pleasure, uh, to snatch after thoughtless indulgence, to, to seek to gratify our senses rather than to serve God and to serve others. That's the flesh. The world, the flesh, and then the devil. The devil uh, who is the one who masterminds the whole. Uh, the devil uh, who is opposed to God and who will pull us away from God. The devil who is described as the accuser of the brethren. The devil who has this great box of tricks, but one of the chief of his tricks is to put us down and to make us feel that uh, we're not worth anything uh, to anyone, least of all God, and to make us despair of serving God or pleasing him. Uh, the devil who uh, sends against us fiery darts, whose great strategy is to surprise us, to take us unawares. He will do all he can to keep us away from God and pleasing him. So there are these three great negative influences on our lives, which mean that we are harassed and helpless. There's the world and the flesh and the devil. And so we are harassed and cast down. And friends, if we had something of the compassion of Jesus, then when we were in places where we see uh, some of the great masses of humanity, you know when we go to the shop in, in Asda or wherever, or when we're at a train station with people milling around, would that the Lord would give us an insight that we could see people for what they are, harassed and helpless without a shepherd. Because this is 
our great need. And because it's our great need, it's the great promise of the Bible that a shepherd will come, a shepherd will be sent. And he's not only Israel's deliverer, he is the deliverer of every lost sheep. And David is his forerunner. David, of course, had been the great uh, shepherd king. He had been that uh, shepherd boy who was taken from the folds to look over the Israel, uh, the, the nation of Israel. And he comes, and, and this is important in the, the whole Bethlehem story, he comes from the most surprising of backgrounds. Uh, his, his rise is unanticipated. Samuel gets it wrong when Samuel is sent to Bethlehem uh, because he has to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king. He looks on the, these uh, fine strapping lads, he looks on the, the firstborn, way shoulders head and shoulders above the rest. Ah, that's the one. And God says no. He may look fine on the outside, but man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And so it goes down. Remember, each one after uh, the other, no, not this one. No, not this one. And then David is nearly overlooked because he's not there at all. Uh, they don't expect him to, to figure in this. He's out looking after the flocks. But it's David who was chosen. David who was chosen. And Micah stressing here that the Messiah will come from the same town and he will be as unanticipated in his humble beginnings as David was. Now, it's interesting uh, when we think of, as we were saying to the children earlier, how, how reliable the Bible is. Uh, uh, one thing I want to stress is that this is not simply a, a late Christian interpretation of Micah 5, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. This is what the, the Jews themselves anticipated. They believed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, you know, you, you go to Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 6, or verse 5, they, they told him in, when uh, the the, uh, the Magi come and they ask Herod. Uh, Herod consults uh, his own uh, people, his own uh, scribes versed in the, the scriptures. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see what's so interesting there? This is uh, not from Christians that the connection is made. This is from the lips of people who are uh, Jewish interpreters of the Scripture. People in Jesus' day, the Jews of Jesus' day, expected their Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. The same in John chapter 7, uh, verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people, and we're speaking about Jesus here, some of the people said, this really is the prophet Another said, this is the Christ, or the Messiah. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Now again, these are people who are not believing as yet. They're Jewish people, and they are united in their interpretation of the Old Testament prophecy that their Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And Jesus is, is, uh, is from Nazareth. He's living in Nazareth. 
They don't know that Bethlehem was his birthplace. But the, the clear understanding of this passage is that it refers to the coming of the Messiah. And God has orchestrated the whole to its glory, has he not? Micah tells us more about this future shepherd king. He, he's one whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He's from of old. The word um, could mean uh, that uh, his lineage is of old, i.e. Of, of the line of David. But more likely, it can be used in the, the sense of everlasting. Now, for example, it's used in that way in Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, Lord, are you not from everlasting, my God, my Holy One, you will never die. So, if we take that sense of the word from of old, then we have this wonderful combination that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, but he is everlasting. And here's the wonderful uh, combination. Uh, the one who will have a human birth, who will outwardly have a beginning, has no beginning. As to his divinity, he is from everlasting, to everlasting. Verse 3 is another reference to his birth. Israel will be oppressed until she who is in labor bears a son. Now, we've noticed already how very often in Scripture, uh, the, the, the Scriptures point to the fact that it will be uh, from the woman and through the, the pains of childbirth that the, the promise will come. And it's, it's linking back our fall to our restoration. Because it was in Eve that uh, sin first came into the world, and Eve was the one who was punished with pains in childbirth. But it will be from uh, a woman in labor that deliverance will come. And we have that uh, again touched on here. And then there's this beautiful description of the shepherd. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. There's in these words, stand, uh, the thought of the invincible power of the, uh, the shepherd. Uh, there's the idea here of he... Well, of course, it's the, the, the shepherd who does stand in the midst of his flock, ready to ward off any uh, enemies, any, any fierce animals. But also the, the idea that he stands and does not fall. Uh, he comes as Adam, the second Adam. Adam had fallen, but this one will stand. And he will stand until he has uh, brought to the successful outcome that for which he was sent. He will deliver his people. He will die for sin. He will rise again. He will not fall, nor will he fail. He will succeed in that for which he has come. And becoming a mighty ruler, his character will be majestic. He will shepherd in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. The name of God uh, is is simply the character of God. Uh, it is expressive of what God is like. Uh, it's not just a label, but it's uh, a full description of what uh, he is. And, friends, when we read the story of Jesus in the Gospel, 
we come across one who is majestic. Uh, he is one who simply rises, who soars above all that is best in humanity. We meet with one who is wisdom, who is strength, who is compassion, who is uh, truth and righteousness, and all combined together in perfect symmetry. Uh, he is majestic, this invincible shepherd. He is serene in the midst of a crooked and stubborn opposition. Uh, he shows his compassion for the vulnerable, uh, his wisdom in teaching the kingdom. Uh, he expresses a holiness and justice and goodness and truth, all of God. Isn't 5a such a beautiful word to us? He will be their peace. He will be their peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And at his birth, the angels sang of peace. They sang on earth peace, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. Of course, that's misappropriate, isn't it? It's, it's often just used in a kind of fuzzy way, you know, of uh, being uh, nice to, to, to the cat and to everybody at Christmas time. Uh, and the celebrities and the folks who get on to thought for the day, they have a very vague uh, grasp of what this is. But this is peace by sacrifice. This is peace with God because the offensiveness of sin has been dealt with justly by this shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. That is the great end of his shepherding, to, to sacrifice himself that we might have peace with God, and it is upon those on whom God's favor rests, those who will be called irresistibly to the shepherd. And they alone who will know this peace. He is the peacemaker, and he himself is our peace. I don't think I'm altogether uh, peculiar in this, but I think to my mind, one of the most peaceful scenes that you can envisage is the sight of, of, a, of a field with sheep lying down on a sunny day contentedly chewing the cud secure because all is well it's a beautiful sight and it's the kind of thing in the human realm that Jesus has brought about he has brought us peace we no longer need fear, our great adversary. He has nothing to bring against us. The debt has been cancelled. Our future has been secured. He himself is our peace. He will shield and protect us and provide for us all the days of our life. He himself is our peace. And how gentle he is. You know, we, we might be in church this morning and we've got you know, worries and, and anxieties and things are not exactly 100% for us and so on. And the wonderful thing about the shepherd is that he's not the kind of shepherd that, you know, is always yelling at his dogs and kicking his sheep. He's the good shepherd. And he knows 
how we are made and understands our frame and is wonderfully compassionate. Isaiah again. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. Every shepherd knows how careful you have to be uh, with, with pregnant ewes. You have to, 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 to move them carefully and slowly. And this shepherd knows when we're up against it, when we're finding life hard, he himself is our peace. You and I need this shepherd. Because left to ourselves, we, we make a mess of our lives. We are so prone to go astray, to find all the places that are wrong for us and harmful and destructive for us. And if you don't know this shepherd by faith yet, then will you trust him this morning? Look to him and ask him to be your peace, to forgive your sins. Because if you do, he will do that. He is as good as his word. He will bring you to himself and he will protect and guide and provide for you all your days. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, how precious are your scriptures to us. How they come with abiding relevance to our lives. And we thank you that having compassion for us as harassed and helpless sheep, you have provided for us a great shepherd in Jesus. And we praise you for him and pray that by faith we will look to him and trust him and obey him. In Jesus' name.